0: You're listening to Talking Smart, the official podcast of the International Association of Sheet Metal, Air, Rail, and Transportation Workers. This is Paul Pimentel, and I'm joined today by my co host, Michael Blaine. Welcome to the inaugural episode of Talking Smart. Each month, we bring you news, guests, and discussions of interest to smart members and working families across the United States and Canada.
1: Today, we're going to focus on your retirement security and a new threat to every active member and retiree belonging to a multi-employer pension plan. General President Joe Sellers is our special guest today to discuss this important issue.
2: The term that I heard a lot is uh, do not harm, right? Do not harm. The solutions cannot be on the backs of healthy plans, cannot be on the backs of the retiree, cannot be on the backs of the active plan participant, the member, the worker. I will say that the Grassley white paper violates that no harm provision that I just described.
0: This new proposal by Senator Chuck Grassley and Senate Republicans aims to raise taxes on retirees and bleed benefits dry. This should make us all very concerned.
1: We also had a chance to talk with General President Sellers about steps SMART has already taken to make sure our pension plans remain healthy and solvent. And we touched on what we can all do together as a union to address some real problems with our nation's pension system without punishing working families. We have
2: our members engaged, but we need all members to be engaged. We need all members Mm -hmm. to pull on the rope. We need family members. So this, this affects the plan participant, the working member, our families. Um, our spouses, our children. So we need to make sure that we're contacting our congressional and Senate representatives. And uh, let's right. go back to the concept that healthy plans, retirees, active members didn't create this problem
0: and it shouldn't be on their back. In addition, look for an open mic segment where the general president answers your questions about important topics facing union members, including rail safety, women in the sheet mail industry, the upcoming election, and more.
2: We've had three deaths Since August, we've had members ran over and NTSB has failed to launch an investigation as to what that is. That seems to be criminal to me.
0: You can find this open mic segment on TalkingSmart.org on the episode list immediately following this episode. Thank you, General President Sellers, for being on the show and taking time to be on here. You you've got a busy schedule and all, so we appreciate it.
2: Well, I thank you, and I would like to thank our brothers and sisters and the guests that will be listening to this to hear what's going on from uh, this podcast being our first. Uh, and thanks for joining us and uh, many podcasts to come, a new media for us to express ourselves, get information from our members, and, and how do we deal with current issues and effects uh, to SMART and its members. So thank you.
0: So just to begin... Can you tell us a little bit about what exactly a multi-employer pension plan is? There's a lot of people in the audience who may not be familiar with that term.
2: Sure. Uh, A multi-employer pension plan is uh, created through a collective bargaining agreement between two or more employers and a union. So uh, in that collective bargaining agreement, there are uh, parts of, uh, of a section that would describe what the contribution levels are and how those contribution levels are today and how they may progress over time, as well as who is covered within that pension plan, a multi-employer pension plan. Employers are usually in a related industry. Uh, Also, they are in uh, similar to construction and maybe mining. We'll talk a little bit about uh, that as we go along, I'm sure. multi-employer plans have a board of trustees equal number of employers and an equal number of union trustees that uh, meet regularly and go through the plans, terms and conditions, and, and adjustments that may be necessary to the plan. Uh, in construction, uh, we, we, uh, we have multi-employer throughout, the, throughout a career. So you may work for uh, multiple employers. And what that's able to do is give a plan participant, which is a member uh, within quite like the bargaining agreement, give that one pension for that participant that may work for several employers. You know, in a year because uh, the, the project got done, they got laid off, they went to the next project to a different employer, or uh, a member that or a participant that works for several uh, employers throughout a, a, a career. So you can add up those uh, pension benefits over a lifetime, not just by individual employers that you may work with.
0: So in terms of these plans, these would be considered a defined benefit plan. So what would be the difference between a defined benefit plan where you know what the benefits are that you're getting and a defined contribution plan, which a lot of other people in this economy get? So, A defined benefit plan provides for a specific payment
2: amount in retirement. So that participant, being a worker, a member, can expect and rely on that amount that they've accrued year after year that's added up at the end of a career. So each participant accrues that benefit and uh, through the hours that they work and the contributions that they make. And then over that, over that career, those yearly accruals continue to add up to a retirement benefit that they would be able to count on monthly. In our industry, it would be a monthly retirement benefit. A defined contribution plan are sometimes known as 401k plans, sometimes known as 401a plans, maybe an annuity in some areas or some locals, and it has uh, it has individual contributions that are uh, that that are um, individually invested. Now, some plans allow for an individual participant, a member, to invest their their uh, annuity or 401k. In uh, you know stocks that they choose, but other plans have a board of trustees that select those those uh, uh, those investment options uh, for them. I, I view uh, 401k plans as a supplement to retirement security. The pension is the base, and the pension provides for that long term uh, planning, and then the supplement the supplement retirement and retirement security. Uh, these, these uh, 401k or what would be defined contribution plans help uh, help uh, through retirement so that, you know, you, have, uh, you, you, can, you can still do the things that you want to do for your reti- retirement
0: years. Now, another thing we hear a lot about when it comes to pensions and multi- multi-employer pensions is we hear about these zones, the green zones, red zones, yellow zones. Can you tell us what that means in terms of how they define the status of a plan? Pension plans fall into one of three zones
2: um, or categories. That indicates their current and projected funding status. So pension plans have actuaries project funding over a 20 or 30 year period. Uh, They project using assumptions uh, such as an average long term investment rate of return through their investments, as well as what are the expected hours over that 20 or 30 year period. How many hours are, are, is that plan expected to you'll know, bring in as far as contributions are concerned? Uh, these three zones were established by the Pension Protection Act, um, and they are really like quick indicators of a plan status. So a green zone is the strongest category, a yellow zone is considered in danger status, and red zones are considered uh, critical status. Uh, these are uh, these are tests and measurements that are done by fund actuaries, and they're performed every year, and they're certified by fund professionals that uh, that fall into one of those three zones or categories: red, yellow, or green. Okay,
0: and what do these zones mean for plans? So
2: the uh, the zones are really quick indicators of a complicated actuarial account. So it's the rule of thumb. The rule of thumb would be green zone plans are funded at 80% or higher. Yellow zone plans, there again, rule of thumb, there's a whole bunch of complicated calculations that go in in with that, but yellow zone plans are somewhere between 60 and 80% funded and a plan must take corrective measures. That plan needs to adopt a funding improvement plan. So as the red zone is below 60%, and there again, the plan needs to take corrective action and they need to adopt what's known as a rehabilitation plan. So these are really roadmaps designed to move a fund towards stronger fund positions. So this is, uh, this is on the heels of uh, the 2000-2001.com bust. As you may recall, in 2000-2001, the market had a, 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 a large drop, and it was called the dot-com bust. And over that, over that period of time, if, if you were a plan that was over 100% funded, you had ta- tax implications. So th- there was a big difference of plans that were highly funded. And if you went overfunded, you had a tax burden that, that you had to pay. So that's how uh, funds were managed in that period of time, and that has since changed. Uh, since 2008, 2009, and other things that have transpired uh, over the last couple decades.
0: So can you tell us what plans are in danger of collapse and what caused them to be this way?
2: So there are approximately 1,400 multi-employer plans that exist today in in the United States. About 85% of them are successfully meeting their obligations as a multi-employer pension fund. Things that have affected that is deregulation, deregulation such as uh, within the trucking industry, um, employers' withdrawals—they're withdrawing from the plan or bankruptcies have a large effect on any one of the sectors of, of pension plan. It affects multi-employer pension plans, it affects single-employer pension plans, and it also affects public public uh, pension plans. So. Uh, bankruptcy and bankruptcy laws that have changed um, continue to affect the long-term planning of any pension fund and the obligations of that uh, employer or employers to uh, make the necessary contributions. A bankruptcy in the mining industry, uh, that's a thats a big deal. Uh, recently, there was congressional action uh, to help the, the, the funding of the United Mine Workers Plan. Um, industry trends also have uh, an effect on the declining the decline of some pension funds. So uh, it, it acts differently across different sectors. Uh, bankruptcy seems to be very consistent uh, across both countries, United States and Canada. Um, the funds, a lot of funds took a significant hit during 2008, 2009. but that's the economy at that time, right? So we remember do we remember the too big to fail? Right. So you had these automotive too big to fail. You had these big investment houses too big to fail. Mm -hmm. Well, we were not immune to that giant drop in the market in 2008. In six months, September of 2008 to March of 2009, significant losses in investments led to all that action of uh, too big to fail movement, as well as uh, our funds were not immune as well. Um, our 401k or our defined contributions. And as we individually manage those funds, continue to take the burden of uh, what happened in just that six month period. Um, so our, our funds took a significant hit to our assets and, uh, the, and the laws in the past did not uh, allow funds to accumulate savings, as I indicated. So if you were over hundred percent funded, you had tax implications. So if you accumulated savings, it uh, didn't matter if you liked it or not. Um, you had a tax implication. So that was a different dynamic back in, uh, in in that time.
0: So pretty much if you were successful with your pension plan and you had a good return, you were punished for it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We want to give a shout out to our friends at the AFL-CIO and their podcast. A new episode of State of the Unions Drops every other Wednesday and features interesting interviews with working people and our allies across the country. State of the Unions is available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and anywhere else you can find podcasts. Now, when we hear about the government and the government being involved and too big to fail and all that, we hear about another agency when it comes to pension plans, and especially multi-employer plans. Pension Benefit Guarantee Corp, or a lot of people call it just go by the PBGC. Can you tell us how it fits into all of this? So the PBGC was created by the federal government in 1974.
2: And the agency was created to provide insurance or what is known as a backstop to pension plans. And maybe a good analogy of that is similar to the FDIC. So it has an individual investor in a bank FDIC gives uh, an insurance that if something goes wrong, they'll insure that, well, PBGC is in a similar category um, as you and I have protections through FDIC. So for trouble plans, uh, retirees can still receive a pension if there's a falter within that that pension plan. Now, usually what comes from being in the PBGC um, pension contributions Um, It's probably at a a, uh, reduced rate than what you were getting as a retiree of that particular plan. The PBGC is also facing insolvency. That's turning into quite a crisis uh, within the multi-employer plan. So we will be unable to provide that backstop if the PBGC uh, is in crisis uh, uh, in just
0: a few years. How many people do you think that would affect?
2: Uh, That will affect... Right now, estimates are it's over a million workers, and the impacts include active and retired members. Right, so every day we go to work, we're looking to be able to retire. So you have a current, you have a current book of retirees that are in there, and that would dramatically affect uh, active plan participants that are, you know, going to work every day, making hourly contributions, and making sure that they're putting the necessary funds into their own retirement goals and their own retirement security. Uh, industries and members have uh, have worked their entire careers to, to do this. And uh, instead of having maybe a wage increase, they've deferred money to put it into their pension, or maybe they could have in, increased a benefit, but they they wanted to invest in their retirement security and that's where they made the necessary change and allocation mm-hmm. uh, to, to fund that goal of theirs.
0: Okay. Now, when it comes to SMART, what did SMART do in the past to make sure we didn't suffer the same fate as some of these other funds? So I distinctly remember uh, after the dot-com bust
2: and before the Pension Protection Act of 2006, General President Sullivan alerted the industry. You know, this is what we need to be looking out for. This is what we need to be advised of. And we need to really start putting in action plans. And we, we as our funds took corrective action virtually Im- immediately. Uh, we've we've uh, we've changed the schedule of increased contributions. So we've cre- we created a increase of contributions over years, so that we would know what the funding, you know, what we, we can enhance the funding of a plan after the dot com and as we looked forward of what the uh, what the market may look like at that period of time. Uh, we also. Uh, took it out of our, which would come out of our collective wage uh, package, right? So those types of things happen. Uh, We eliminated some of the options that that were subsidized by different plans. You know, There were certain plans that had uh, COLA, cost of living increases. Uh, Some plans may have had a, maybe had a 13th check. A lot of that stuff, the trustees of many plans uh, cut that back because of uh, this, this uh, advanced notice that the, that we as an industry gave the National Pension Fund um, made and has continued to make real progress as recruited uh, as required under our own funding improvement plan. So uh, we we through General President Sullivan we got out in front quickly made some changes uh, even before the Pension Protection Act started uh, and and created the 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 red yellow green zones as we described. Uh, and tried to get, get ahead of some of those things to come. Now, nobody forecasted 2008, 2009. You would talk to money managers and, and investment people, and they would say that could never happen in one decade, and it did, mm-hmm. and, and here we are.
0: Yes, it did. So we made all the necessary sacrifices over a decade ago, and now this proposal, what does it do? What What is it asking of funds and of retirees and active members now?
2: So this this proposal comes out of the, it's a white paper that comes out of the Republican Senate Finance Committee. Uh, it was released by Senator Grassley, who is the chairperson of that committee and, and Senator Alexandra. They believe this is a, a solution to the multi-employer crisis. I will say that all conversations prior to this release was that the crisis was no fault of a healthy plan no fault of an active or a retired plan participant. And really the the, the term that I heard a lot is uh, do not harm, right? Do not harm. The solutions cannot be on the backs of healthy plans, cannot be on the backs of the retiree, cannot be on the backs of the active plan participant, the member, the worker. So also if but the Grassley white paper was enacted today in the legislations, it would dramatically impact all funds, all multi-employer funds across the entire network. I will say that the Grassley white paper violates that no harm provision that I just described, whether it's healthy plans, whether it's retirees, whether it's active. It it goes against and violates what I thought was a principle. So uh, some of the things that are really disturbing, is as I said earlier, we assume certain things and our actuaries assume certain things. So we assume the amount of hours that we're gonna make every year for the next 20 or 30 years. We also assume a market rate of return that we're gonna get over that same time frame. This white paper will cap off our assumption or our assumption rate, which is known as, at a mm-hmm. maximum of 6%. So, It can't go any higher than six. Mm. Now, that means that right now, I think the calculation that is in the Grassley white paper is at five and a half percent, and it will never go above six. The problem also is that it's an adjustable rate. So right now, it's five and a half percent. You know, if market goes up a little bit, and I'm talking about interest rates go up a little bit, Mm -hmm. you know, it goes up a quarter percent. It's always, it's always fluctuating, but it will never go over six. So that's a dramatic problem. Uh, the other thing that it does is imposes a tax on retirees, current retirees will have a tax between five and 10% of their pension payment. Also what the, the Grassley white paper or the Senate finance committee white paper says is that there will be an, an additional pension tax, that additional PBGC tax, and this is new to unions, this is new to employers, and they'll have to pay on behalf of all the participants that are in their union, or all the participants that are working uh, as at these individual employers. The projected industry increase right now, if this were to go into, uh, into law and enacted and approved, would increase our PBGC premiums as an industry. Uh, tax to the retiree, tax to the individual plans, Tax to employers, tax to union. It's going to be an eleven-time increase, eleven times the current contribution level, uh, as an industry into the BBGC as it is proposed today.
0: That's going to be the biggest tax increase I've ever heard of.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: And and if you're a retiree, you're on a fixed income already, and you're paying an additional tax. Yes. Just to be on a fixed income.
2: Exactly. So you know, right now. Right now, the PBGC premiums, they went from $13 to $26 just a few years ago. 26 went to 27, went to 28. Last year, it was 29. This year, it's 30. What they're saying the cap is, is 330, 11 times mm-hmm. the amount of the amount of premiums out of an industry that would go into the PBGC because of this financial crisis.
0: And these are two U.S. senators who proposed this, Republicans. I thought they went the party of high taxes.
2: Yeah. Right. I I guess when it comes to maybe then.
0: Right. Right. There you go. That's the key.
1: You're listening to Talking Smart. Mobilize. Organize. Unionize. Do you have story ideas or have a question for the general president or union leadership? Call us toll free at 844 984 947 With your questions or ideas. Once again,
0: 844 984 0947. So, recently, Congress passed a retirement bill that helped shore up the Mine Workers' Pension Fund and it protected benefits for retired miners. Is that any different from this proposal, and how does that affect us?
2: So there was a proposal that came out of the Joint Select Committee, which was in November of 2018. It had a lot of the same components. It, it, uh, it really looks, in many ways, it looks a lot like that proposal, for, except for one big thing. There was a federal funding component to the Joint Select Committee. This proposal, this white paper that comes out, from the Senate Republican Senate Finance Committee has no mention of funding. It says something about limited, but it really doesn't define what limited means. And frankly, I haven't heard what a number, what limited number may be. Mm-hmm. So November two thousand eighteen, similar changes. Uh, the the uh, assumption rate was higher. I think back then the assumption rate was six and a half percent versus a cap at six currently at 5.5%, but those, those things changed it, and, and there was a funding mechanism for the federal government. Now, uh, we're not seeing any of that, and they're using words like limited. Uh, Smart members, in 2018, we put in 40,000 letters and communications to our congressional and Senate leaders, and, and we pushed back on that proposal, and um, this proposal today is more harmful and worse than the proposal that we saw in 2018. Uh, We saw it in 2018. Now we see this in 2019. Is this something that we're going to see in 2020, these proposals come up? So uh, this this language has some things that they're calling partitioning, um, possibly, uh, possibly liability removal from plans that are in distress. Uh, relieve the liability for that—that that could be some good things that you may be able to you may be able to work on. But the other mm-hmm. things are really make it a non-starter, right? You know, like you said, uh, the the tax base went up 11 times, and that's the party of no taxes. So, you know, if we can get to some of these other things, it's going to take a lot of things to get us out, and a lot of tools to get us out of this crisis. Uh, so it's 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 going to take uh, it's going to really take some work. So, uh, quite frankly, we need our members to be engaged. You know, we've sent out a call. We've sent out the smart army. We, we're, we're doing our texting. We're doing the pension, the 21333. We, we have our members engaged, but we need all members to be engaged. We need all members mm-hmm. to pull on the rope. We need family members. So this, uh, this affects it, the plan participant, the working member, our families, um, our spouses, our children. So we need to make sure that we're contacting our congressional and Senate representatives and uh, make sure that they understand that there's a plan that works for all. all Let's right. go back to the concept that healthy plans, retirees, active members didn't create this problem and it shouldn't be on their back. Right. All right. Absolutely. Going back to the specific mind work question, this was a bipartisan solution that was passed in December it was part of a big funding package that, frankly, kept the government open and operating. This has, this has been in play for decades, and it's finally improved. Uh, it's really good for the mine workers and the United Mine Workers Plan. It allows for contributions so that they can make payments. And it's been for a couple decades they've been working on this. But this does not fix the rest of the system. It does not. It does not stop a need and a call to action because the multi-employer system is much bigger than a plan it's it's bigger than just a few plans and we got to make sure that there's uh there's funding that is consistent with going back to no harm that whole no harm mentality i i will say that the good part about it is the difference in this was that there was government funding the government did put money up to put and, and provide benefits for current and future retirees. Reti- retirees receive a full pension. They don't have the tax that I described just a little while ago. There's no co-payment um, for the mine workers union or an employer or a retiree or active. And there's no additional PBGC premium. So as I just described, the 11 times increase does not impact the the mine workers uh, act that was recently passed in December now I would say also that there always seems to be the too big to fail model going back to 2008 2009 and distinctly remember Lehman Brothers right I talked about automotive but you got Lehman Brothers and you know frankly there's been over a 20 billion dollar bailout of the of the agricultural industry uh farming industry and that's not for mom pop farmer that's for corporate farmers so there's there's a there's a bailout that that they're regularly willing to approve for that corporate that, that that corporate but leaving retirees in the lurch leaving active members and plans in the lurch
0: so basically when it comes to helping out regular working people it seems like there's never enough money they never have enough money in the bank For that. But when it comes to helping out these corporate farmers, helping out corporations and agribusiness and all that, they just open the bank for them. Yeah. And and really,
2: the, the effects are dramatic. The effects are dramatic on the retirement security of all current and future retirees. But also, there's a tax base that goes to the federal government on these benefits, right? So, there's a return on their investment for collecting taxes, whether it's federal taxes, whether it's local taxes, whether it's municipalities whether it's the ability to go and buy groceries at the local store that that retiree does right now, maybe goes to the movies, maybe maybe do some things that's pleasurable. Um, so if the retirement security crumbles, there's a lot of other things that will crumble around it, including it, the municipality, city, state, federal mm-hmm. funding, that is all based around taxes on you know, over a million people that 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 provide services to their community. They're they they're part of the fabric of their community and they're paying the freight and 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 deserve to continue to be able to do so.
0: Yeah. So we're gonna have a cascading effect when that money's taken out and they're denied of it. Now members in Canada and members who are working in the transportation industry, what is different about retirement in both of those places?
2: So uh, this does not this does not affect Canada Canada has its own pension fund system they have their own uh, regulations so everything that's going on here uh, they are regulated and governed by you know different plans and different uh, different regulations that are within Canada so they go through similar struggles in Canada you know not with the Grassley white paper or the Republican Senate white paper but they certainly do go through, their share of uh, 2008, 2009 investment mm-hmm. loss, 2000, 2001 investment loss of the dot-com bus. So they're not immune from that either. So they they have their own struggles, but this particular proposal does not affect Canada. In the rail industry, you know, there's the railroad retirement. So at this time, this doesn't affect that. But I do understand from time to time, the railroad retirement is attacked every once in a while, so yeah. they're not immune. They're not immune over time. Um, they're not part of this uh, proposal or white paper, but they're not immune to uh, to have similar problems at periods of time in the, in the last couple of decades.
0: Mm-hmm. So we've also heard about another proposal. It's called the Butch Lewis Act. What is that?
2: So the Butch Lewis Act is actually named after uh, a teamster. Uh, it's legislation that was passed by the House, but it sits in the Senate, hasn't been moved um, in the Senate. It's a loan program for troubled plans where they would be able to borrow money at a low interest rate as we're experiencing right now. And you go and get your mortgage, you have a low interest rate. Um, so they would be able to borrow money at a low interest rate, but it's, it's a piece of the fix. It does mm-hmm. not solve the multi-employer pension crisis. It does help, and mm-hmm. it does uh, does take a piece of it, but it doesn't doesn't solve it all. So you need more tools. You need you need federal funding that's missing in this proposal, uh, and you need other measures that would that would uh, help resolve some of the crisis issues that we're experiencing right now.
0: So for somebody listening in today. What would you tell them to do to take action on this issue?
2: Call or write your Congress, Congress uh, representative as well as your senator. Uh, if you go to uh, um, text the word "pension" to two one three three three, you'll be connected to your U.S. senator. I would make sure that uh, uh, if when you go there, we give you talking points um, mm-hmm. so that you can talk to whether it's your senator, your congressional leader, or staff uh, of of. What you're asking for them, and we try to make it as simple as possible. And I would also ask you to make sure the smart army is engaged, make sure that every member is engaged, make sure your family, make sure your friends. This is, impacts not only you, but your spouse and your kids. It also infa- impacts your community, as we've talked about uh, throughout this segment. And uh, this crisis, uh, we all need to step up. We all need to take action. This is a call to action for us. And if we do that then we have the ability to affect change, it's similar to what we did in 2018, uh, where, we were, where we had 40,000 uh, contacts to, uh, mm-hmm. to our uh, representatives uh, throughout the United States.
0: Yeah, on this issue, a lot of other issues, it's all about what we put in, right? We get out what we put in, and I think we've, you've shown the way um, in doing this. I'd like to thank General President Salas for taking the time to be on this show.
2: Well, thank you. Thank you for uh, for attending, brothers, sisters, and guests, for attending this podcast. I look forward to doing these uh, and continue to do these in the future. So for updates and action, text the word podcast to 21333. And I would also ask that if you have a question, you can leave a message with the General President, myself, at 844 844- Nine eight four zero nine four seven. for any ideas, for any thoughts, and you may hear those pop up in any of our future podcasts. So thank you for joining us.
0: Thank you.